You may be seated. Well, this morning is the fourth Sunday of the month. That may seem rather obvious to you, and yet that's important around here for the reason that we don't have kids crew today. Because it's the fourth Sunday, that means our children will stay with us in worship this morning, and we made available what we call the Kids Worship Bulletin. There's a a bulletin that kids can follow along. They were available on either side of the the room here at the entrance. And it'd be okay if you didn't get one of those and you want to slip down and grab, if there are any there, you could grab that for the kids to kind of follow along and uh, take notes, do some activities as we work our way through the text this morning. First Samuel chapter 16 is going to be our text this morning. First Samuel 16. And in First Samuel 16, we're going to really focus in on the, the idea of the heart. You know, the heart is a vital organ. When you think about when you think about in our, in our bodies, that the heart becomes important because the heart has a, a major role to play in, in pumping blood, right? I mean, that's its, that's its job, is to keep the blood flowing. And blood, of course, is important because blood supplies our body, our cells, with all the things that we need, all the things that, that would give us uh, energy, that would literally keep us, keep us alive, keep us going, this past fall, my grandmother uh, passed, and, and she had battled Alzheimer's for a number of years, and much like that disease does, there was the, the noticeable progression, the noticeable decline in her, in her health. You might think of her mental health, or at least in her cognitive, maybe that's the, a better term, a more accurate term, her cognitive uh, health, her cognitive abilities. But there was that point that she reached. And if you've loved someone and, and, and lived with someone through that, that journey with Alzheimer's, then you know this. There, there was the point where her mind in many ways was gone, but her heart was still strong. And so as a family, we were, it was, it was difficult. I mean, it was a difficult time for us. And, and again, you've, if you've loved someone through that, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where our prayer was, Lord, we don't want to keep her a day longer than you would have. We trust that in your sovereign timing and your perfect purpose, every one of her days are numbered. And yet at the same time, we were praying, Lord, when you're ready, she's ready and we're ready too. And, and yet there was a time, in fact, for, for us as a family, about a month went by from that point where where we sort of made that our prayer until the Lord took her home. And the reason was the doctors would say her heart is strong. Even at the point where she didn't know what was happening around her, even at the point where her, her mind had faded away, her heart was strong. And so her body kept going because, because her heart was strong. And I did a lot of reflecting in those days. This was just at the tail end of last year, the tail end of 2022. I did a lot of reflecting and a lot of thinking and praying and meditating in that season about the heart. And it really got me thinking about my heart. And when, when we had her funeral service and I stood and I, and I gave the, the funeral message on that day at my grandmother's service, I talked about her heart and about how that was really indicative of who she was, right? She was, this was a woman with a strong heart. And, and 
but thinking on that and meditating on that from those days to now, I've, I've just thought a lot in this season about the importance of the heart. You know, it's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that the writer of Proverbs encourages his reader to guard his heart because, as it says in Proverbs 23, 4, 23, that from it flow the springs of life. Now think about that for a minute, that the, the heart is described there somewhat picturesquely, metaphorically as the fountain of life or the springs of life. That's true in a biological sense, we understand, but it's so much more profoundly true in a spiritual sense as well. And what we have in this particular text that we're going to study today in 1 Samuel 16 is a, a passage about David when David is anointed as the future king over Israel. Now, some years, some time is going to go by from the moment when David is anointed king until David actually takes the throne and begins to serve as king. Because even at this point in time, there's another man on the throne, a man whose name is Saul. And you may know well the story of Saul and David, but Saul was the first king ever over the nation of Israel. Prior to Saul, the nation was led through a series of judges, hence the book of Judges, and, and led through these key patriarchs or these key figures like Moses, if you think of Moses and Moses' leadership. But the people wanted a king like all the other nations, and so God allowed them to have a king. Eli uh, was the one that, that responded to God, and then, of course, Samuel uh, interacted with and, and, and had a, a lot to do with Saul as the king over the nation of Israel. And there was a time when under Saul's rule, things were going well. But then there was a point where Saul has, had hardened his heart in sin, had turned from the Lord in wickedness and disobedience. And so God spoke a word to Saul through Samuel, who was a prophet, saying effectively to Saul that I am going to take the throne from you and from your heir. Saul had sons, most notably his son, Jonathan, who Oddly enough, ironically, I suppose enough, was David's very dear friend. And yet God spoke through Samuel to Saul saying, because of your wickedness, because of your sin and the hardness of your heart, I will not allow you and your heirs to continue as king, but I'm going to raise up another. So you read in 1 Samuel chapter 13 in verse 14 that God was looking for someone whose heart was right. It's the importance of the heart. All the way later, many, 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 many years later in the book of Acts, we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 32, the writer of Acts tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And so God was looking for someone after his heart to lead his people. And he found that person in David. Now, if you know the story of David, and we will actually spend the next several weeks looking at stories in the life of David as we're working our way through the scripture. If you know the story of David, you know that David was not perfect. To say that David was a man after God's own heart is, is true because the scriptures tell us as much, but that doesn't mean that David was perfect. He wasn't a perfect man. He had lots of flaws. He was a complicated figure in a number of ways. And yet, because his heart was 
soft toward the Lord, responsive toward God. God spoke and worked and, and moved in David's life. And so I hope that over the next several weeks as we really kind of zero in on David and the significance of this figure, this person, David, and how that even points us to understand Jesus and, and all that's to come through Christ, that we will see the heart of God in the life of David. So think about the heart, the importance of the heart, because that's a key part of our text. And so uh, let's read together from 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read the first 13 verses together. And even as we read this together, I want you to, to look specifically at what 1 Samuel 16 tells us about the importance of the heart. And then we're going we're gonna to dive deeper even into that as we keep studying. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so here we have the moment when God is raising up the future king of Israel, raising up the future leader of his people, raising up, we understand, the man after his own heart who would lead his people. We learn some really important lessons in this passage in 1 Samuel 16 that I want us to see together. And so on the backside of your worship guide, there's a place where you can follow along, of course, and take notes. It's something that we do every week. And I want us to, I want us to think on these truths that we glean from this passage in 1 Samuel 16. The first point is this simply, is that God is more concerned with your inward posture than with your outward appearance. 
God is more concerned with your inward posture. I'm going to talk more about what I mean by inward posture in a moment. God is more concerned with that inward posture than with your outward appearance. We focus on the outward appearance, don't we? We focus on the things. And, and let's be real. I mean, of course we would. Of course we do. Because that's the, that's the feedback that we get. And so we look at someone and someone who has all the signs of a leader, someone who has all the, the characteristic marks of what you think might be a, a leader, someone who maybe it's by their appearance, maybe it's by the way that they dress, maybe it's by the people that follow them, maybe it's by their, their stature or their position in the community, in the culture at large, maybe it's their success in business, Maybe it's their wealth, the things that they've done. All of these are reasons that we, we ascribe importance to people. Yeah, that's an important, she's an important woman. That's an important man. And we would, we, we would right, we, we do that. We, we look at the outward appearance. And, and I'm not here to say we should never do that because, I mean, we've all, we've all experienced there's, there's an element of truth to that. People reflect confidence because they are confident. People outwardly reflect those things because oftentimes it is reflection of what's happening inside. And yet, we need to be careful that we aren't deceived into thinking that it's just what's taking place on the outside that matters. Because the key lesson that we learn here is that God is not just concerned with the outward appearance, but the inward posture. Think about this, that these sons of Jesse came by one by one. And when Samuel saw the oldest, Eliab, he thought, I mean, literally, it's here for us in the text. Samuel thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. There was whatever it was, it doesn't describe Eliab to us in great detail, but whatever it was about Eliab, physically, outwardly, right? He must have, he must have just looked like a, a leader. He must have looked like a warrior king. He must have looked like the kind of person that you would think, yeah, this is the guy. This is the one. He's, he's got the, the it factor. And yet God rejected him. God rejected him. And, and literally the Spirit of the Lord says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. God's speaking to Samuel, saying, Samuel, don't just focus on what your eyes see, what is before you. This is such an important point for us. Now, in, in, a, in a spiritual dimension, yes, that I want to drill down a little bit more on, but also just in a practical dimension as well. When we think about, when we think about all the things, all the ways that we look to people in leadership, just think, in, think about in, in, a, in a community, in, a, in, in, in perhaps a county, state, our nation, we tend to look at all the vestiges of power. The people who spend the most money win the elections oftentimes, right? I mean, the people who, they, they wear all the right things, they appear at all the right rallies, they, they have all the right key leadership, they quote all the right lines, they, 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 they do all the things that you, that, and it's all the outward trappings, and yet isn't it possible? It is possible. Sadly, we see this all the time. That people have all the outward appearances of, power and authority and importance and significance, and yet what we see inwardly is what comes out over time is something that's far more corrupt and, and wicked and, and ungodly. God says, don't look at the outward. Try to look beyond that. Now, the difficulty for us in that is we can't really see someone else's heart, can we? 
I mean, ultimately, the, the posture of your heart isn't something that I can see or notice. It is entirely possible for you to fool everyone. But let's be clear, God will not be fooled. God cannot be fooled. You may have everyone else deceived. You may, you may figure out the game and how to play the game well enough that everybody else around you thinks you've got it. You're spiritual. You walk with the Lord. There's the obvious signs, and yet God will not be fooled. Just as he's not fooled with the sons of Jesse, he won't be fooled with us. If anything, this ought to, this ought to cause us to uh, shake in our boots, if you will, right? This, I mean, this is a very sobering reality for us to consider, that God is not concerned with the outward appearance of power, significance, authority, spiritual thing. God ultimately is concerned with the heart. So here's a simple thing to ask ourselves. I mean, all of this should bring every one of us to this simple question. How's my heart? How's your heart? And that's what I've been reflecting on and thinking a lot about these last days. If I told you I've been thinking about the heart because of all that my grandmother went through. And, and I've just been thinking a lot about, Lord, I even can play the game outwardly I, to be honest with you, as pastor of the church, I probably have the game figured out a little better than you do. I mean, I'm just going to be real transparent for a minute. And yet God isn't fooled by any of that. He's concerned about the inward posture. What is the inward posture? Well, have you really submitted your heart to him? Has there ever been a moment when you have truly yielded to the lordship of Christ? Has there ever been that moment when truly inwardly you have acknowledged him as Lord, as Savior, that you have made him, as we often describe with our children, the boss of your life. Everyone else around you may say, yes, of course. But God will not be fooled. And so we ought to, we ought to really reflect and, and think and, and bear our, our soul before the Lord. Lord, search me. Try, try me and know my thoughts, as Psalm 124 says. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember to guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for fl from it flow the springs of life. Secondly, when we look at this passage and the story of David, what we see is that God looks where we can't look to see what we can't see. God, God sees what we can. In verse 7, God says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This morning even, God is looking into your life, if, if you will. He has the, the, the spiritual eyes, the ability to see with his God vision beyond everything else and, and to see your heart. And he knows your heart. He looks where we can't look to see what we can't see. This is a call for us to be right with God. And let me just say for a moment while, while we're talking about to this, this idea of being right with God. The only way to be right with God 
is to repent of our sins and turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The only hope that any of us have for righteousness is not a better version. If you're hearing me describe this and what you're thinking is, oh, I just need to do better. Oh, I just need to try harder. Oh, I need to sin less and be good more. And friend, you're missing it because the point is no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you can be, it will never be good enough. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that Jesus became for us the sacrifice, the righteousness of God. He became that sacrifice for us. Jesus became for us the sacrifice that was, that was given in order to pay the price for our sin. And so it's through faith in Jesus that we're made right. The only way to have your inward posture what it ought to be, the only way to have a pure and a clean heart before the Lord is to bow before Jesus. And I mean that not just physically bow, but I mean in the sense of submitting your heart, bowing your heart, as it were, to Jesus as Lord and Savior, surrendering your life to him by faith. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time when you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, then in a few minutes even, as we move into a time of response, a time of invitation, we're gonna offer you the opportunity. And my prayer is that in that moment, you would step out of the aisle and you would make your way forward where our staff will be standing here at the front so that we might lead you in that commitment as you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Even this week, I met with some children in our church and we were talking through the decision of salvation. And we talk about that and often with kids along the lines of the ABCs, which seems rather elementary, but the truth of the matter is it's really important for all of us that A, we would admit our sin and that B, we would believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And if we would turn to him in faith, he has the power to forgive our sins, to cleanse us of unrighteousness, to make us new, and that see, we would confess him as Lord and Savior. It's the ABCs of salvation. And if you're ready today to surrender your life to Jesus, then even when we move into that moment of invitation, we're gonna offer you the opportunity to come forward and give your life to Jesus today so that your heart might be right. God looks where we can't look to see what we can't see because God looks the heart. And then finally, what we learn is that we are drawn to charisma, but God is concerned with character. We're drawn to, we're drawn to the outward. Now, that ought to, that, this, this truth alone ought to, ought to be a reminder to us just how simple and easily deceived we can be. That we just, we just, bite it, hook, line, and sinker. Like we just, we, we go all in with the wrong things, the outward things. We are drawn to charisma. We're drawn to people who have all the, who, who have the, the right look. It looks, everything looks right. Everything looks clean. Everything looks shiny and good. But God is concerned not with charisma, but with character, with our character. Don't we see this all the time? Sadly, we don't just see it in the culture at large. We see this even in the church. How many stories have we heard of people in the church, leaders in the church, who had some form of moral failure, some form of a fall, because their character didn't match the outward appearance? They had all the charisma, 
They had all the look, they had the, 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 the gleam, but it wasn't matched by the character of their heart. God isn't fooled by charisma. He's not fooled by the outward appearance. He looks beyond to our character. And so we ought to hear this. I hope that you'll hear this this morning and what you, what you, as the wheels are turning and as you're thinking on this, your desire is not to just try harder and do better, but that your desire would be to confess your sins, to be cleansed from within. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where where we're, we're pure on, on the inside. Well, as I've said already, it comes through, through a righteousness that is not ours, a righteousness that is greater than what we could achieve on our own, but is made available to us freely as a gift as we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus, who became for us sin who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we could be set free and transformed even from the inside out as the Spirit of God comes in. We see that here in this moment, David is anointed the future king, and what do we see? The Spirit of the Lord rushed on him. What the New Testament teaches us is that the moment that we place our faith and our trust in Christ, that we receive God's Holy Spirit Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we are sealed with the Spirit of God, that it is the guarantee. That word guarantee that's used in Ephesians 1.13 could, could also be translated from Greek into English as the word down payment. The Holy Spirit of God is given to us as the, the down payment, if you will, the helper that comes to dwell in us through faith. God sealing us, guaranteeing our salvation. So that you no longer have to try to earn or work toward being good enough. Through surrendering to Christ, you are made righteous by the righteous one who gave himself for you. God looks where we can't look to see what we can't see this morning. My prayer is that your heart, the place that God sees would be right so that from it would flow the spring of life. And that we, would, that we would walk in obedience and submission to the Holy Spirit of God, that inner voice that we have if you trusted in Him by faith, that Spirit of God that, that is convicting us, that is guiding us, that is leading us from within to do all that we should to honor Jesus. This morning... I pray that you would surrender your life to Jesus and that you would be transformed from the inside out so that your heart might truly be much like the heart of David, that it might be a heart like God's heart. And if we learn any key lesson from David today, may it be that, that our hearts would be, that would be sensitive, that they, would be, that they would be obedient to the Lord as he moves in us from within. And so, in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. After we pray, we're going to sing a song together. And while we sing that song, again, I'll be standing here at the front along with Josh and Brad. And, and we would love, if, we would love nothing more, in fact, 
in this moment than to pray with you and lead you through that prayer of commitment. Maybe today you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe today you, you, you recognize that even if there are some of the outward signs, truly inwardly things aren't what they need to be. And if you're ready today to be made right with the Lord, to trust him by faith, to receive as it were that, that new heart, to receive his Holy Spirit inside of you, to transform you from the inside out. And even today, I pray that you would come and surrender your life to Jesus. And so as we prepare for that moment of response, would you bow your head with me? Would you, in this moment, let's pray together. Let's go before the Lord and let's ask him to speak to us and to guide our obedience to his word today. And so Lord, our desire is to respond to you in in obedience from within even, Lord, that our hearts would be right as we trust in you. We understand that you look where we can't look, Lord, that you see what we are incapable of seeing. And so as you look into our hearts, Lord, as you see inside of us, I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit to lead us, to respond in humility and surrender to you, Jesus, receiving all that you give us as we come to you by faith. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that this would be the moment when they surrender their heart and their life to you. For those of us perhaps who are here, and we've trusted you by faith, but sadly, the, the inward posture isn't what it ought to be. Lord, lead us now, even in this moment, to confess sin, to turn from those things that we have done, the habits we've made, the things we've turned a blind eye toward, that we might walk in obedience and submission to you. All this we pray in your name this morning. Amen.